What is up, everybody? Welcome to Ben's Chatter, the common man's NBA podcast. I'm your host, Colin, here with my co-host, Noah, coming at you on this beautiful Monday night to recap the second round of the NBA playoffs. And Noah, it was electric across the table. Yeah, it was uh, quite the second round, Colin. Um, Three series going six games or uh, more. Both of the series in the East going to seven games. It was a... it's a good time for basketball right now, Colin. I mean, there's nothing more you can ask as a fan of a team that is not in the playoffs than series going to seven. And especially underdog teams winning in seven. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Is that just good for the game of basketball? Yeah, getting to watch games as a neutral fan, like... It's honestly really great. I'm just I'm not stressed during these games at all, really, Colin. I'm just rooting for a good all basketball right. game. It's uh it's kinda great. Yeah. I uh I I was back in the uh the, the his a with the uh the rents this weekend to celebrate Father's Day and I was watching all the games and I was watching with my dad and we were watching Bucks Nets and he was like, So who are you rooting for here? And I was like, Honestly, I, I just want something crazy to happen. Like, like, I just want a good game, and they delivered. They gave me one for sure. Yeah, um, that was a. Should we just start with that series, Colin? It was a. I think we an should. absolute we, we, banger. Yeah. I mean, just you, you can tell how much of a banger a series is by how many Twitter NBA fans hop on the timeline and talk about it. And I want to preface that. A Twitter NBA fan, I'm pretty sure the average Twitter NBA fan watches like seven NBA games a year. It is just like following the NBA because it's the greatest reality TV show on the planet. But oh my god, I mean, that series, from start to finish, I mean, every single game there was a new storyline. It was starting off with a Harden not being able to play in game one. Kyrie going down in game two, KD just having one of the greatest playoff games of all time, Giannis when they were down 2-0, everybody was talking, let's fire Bootenholzer, he doesn't have any support, is Giannis a 1-B, like that all happened in the last week. Ah, wow, what a series, I still think that they should fire Bootenholzer, Con, if, um, even if they win the championship, Colin, I don't think they would fire him, but I still think they should you fire still think him. They should. I still think they should. He is a god awful coach. Um, truly, if I was the coach of the Bucks, Colin, I think I would have already won them a championship. Interesting. Interesting. I'm glad that you're you're pretty grounded in your coaching <laughs> beliefs. <laughs> It'd be pretty simple. I'd just put um, Giannis on KD, Colin. Something that Mike Budenholzer actually did not do the entire series. Interesting. And and remind me, why would you put a former Defensive Player of the Year on the best offensive player in the NBA? You know, I know it seems crazy on the surface, Colin. Um, Giannis, crazy athletic, crazy lengthy um the former defensive player of the year. I know it'd be kind of insane to put him on KD, one of the best scorers in our generation, maybe the best scorer in our generation. Um, I know it's crazy, but I think personally I would have had to make that call. 
Um, after KD dropped 49 on P.J. Tucker's dome, uh, I think maybe I would have had to make that call. But I, do you think, Colin, that... Do you think at a do you think at a certain point, Colin, Giannis had to just make that decision for the team himself? And you know they still they still won the series, Colin. So like, sure you could say it worked, but they were one KD shot away. One KD, uh, funny funny little quip here, Colin. KD wears size seventeen shoes, but when he plays Mm -hmm. basketball, he wears size eighteens. And on that last shot, you saw his foot was on the line. I'm familiar. Maybe if he's wearing one size shoe smaller, that's a um, yeah. that's a game winner. I mean, that was a crazy shot. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not super familiar with, with shoe sizes, but I, I'm not sure if a single shoe size down gets him there. But I know my feet, based on where his heels were, would uh would have been a three point shot. Yeah, uh, Katie really came through for this Nets team. Con he. He, I think he cemented himself as probably, in my opinion, being the best basketball player in the world again. Um, over the yeah. series, he averaged 42 minutes, averaged 35 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, a block, and a steal a game. And, you know, the Nets got pretty unlucky here, Con. Uh, I don't want to make excuses yeah. for them because they are a super team. Um, Kyrie going down well, with the ankle injury. Says when they're about to make excuses, but yeah. go ahead. I mean, Ky- Kyrie injury, Kyrie going down with that ankle injury was pretty debilitating for them. Yeah, was, it basically made them force James Harden. James Harden played that series, Colin, with a grade two hamstring strain. That ent- and he played forty five minutes. In the <laughs> um, I thought Blake Griffin. I thought Blake Griffin had a really good series, Colin. Um, he he, he averaged twelve point seven rebounds. He did what they asked him to, and he guarded Giannis. I think Joe Harris really let the Nets down here, Colin. Um, after the first two yeah. games, so games three through seven, Colin, he shot a combined 25% from three um, over a five-game stretch, and that's actually the lowest stretch of his career he's had since the last time, since 2019, the last time the Nets made the playoffs. He also had a five-game stretch where he shot 25% from three. Um, wow. So to say this guy maybe likes to choke in the playoffs um it might be true but he had a lot of shots where normally i see joe harris wide open i think it's he's cashing it every time and he just really didn't come through in the playoffs for the nets um and i think he really could have been the difference maker in this series um between the nets sitting at home now and them playing the hawks in the conference finals yeah, I mean, any time that there's an overtime game, you, you love to dissect the stat sheet and just see who went wrong. And Joe Harris is an easy one to point to as the guy that if he had just made one more shot, I mean, I don't have it in front of me right now, but his Game 7 stat line was pretty atrocious, if I recall correctly. 3 for 10 from the field, 3 of 9 from 3. Not what you're loving out of a guy who shot, what did he shoot from three this year? 40%. Mm. Yeah. Do you think, Colin, that a fully healthy Nets team, how how many games are, are you thinking this series goes? Um...
Okay, I actually want to correct myself. Joe Harrison, the regular season, shot 48% from three. Oh. Oh. oh, my God. Um, I stand by that a fully healthy James Harden, Kyrie on the floor, I think that series goes fives. The, the Bucks just looked so lost in those first few games when the Nets were doing what the Nets can do. And again, you know, you, you beat who's in front of you, and, and I give the Bucks all the credit in the world because by no means are, are a KD-led team with a semi-healthy James Harden. Blake Griffin, who, you know, say what you will about the guy, is in, he was an all-star two years ago, has been an all-NBA caliber player. Obviously, he can't jump as high as he once could, but is a talented basketball player. You have Joe Harris, who, as we just stated, can shoot 48% from three on a year. You would expect them to make this a, a much less close of a series. I stand by my initial prediction of Nets and five if that team is actually healthy. <clears throat> That's not what happened, Noah. Yeah, I mean, all credit to the Bucks. Um, no credit to Mike Budenholzer. Actually, he, I think he was actively trying to lose that series for the Bucks. But you know, shout out Giannis. Uh, shout out Chris Middleton for showing up just enough in this series. Um, he probably would have been hey, the scapegoat. Chris Middleton in Game Six. I mean, yeah, that that was quite the performance. I mean, I mean he hit the he basically hit the game winning shot for the Bucks in Game Seven too. So, applause to him. Yeah, I mean, and and also, big shout-out to Drew Holiday. I mean, he was having a a crappy Game 7, and then the final five minutes of regulation and then into overtime, he played his heart out. He sunk some some big-time shots. Yeah. Ah, Man, that was such a good series. That was probably... I think that's going to be the series of the playoffs, Colin, Um, just in my opinion. I think so. I think it's going to be hard to watch a series better than that. Uh, and, man. I don't know. I don't know. Whoever gets to see the Suns, I, I think we won't get into predictions yet. But I, I have a, a gut feeling of who the NBA Finals will be, and I, I think it will be incredibly <laughs> interesting. I also have a pretty good gut feeling of who I think it's going to be, Colin. Um, uh, we'll see, though. Should we All recap right, the see. other the other East series, Colin, yeah. also a banger, yeah. went seven games. I mean, I just, I, I don't think I even predicted the Hawks to get past the Knicks. I also picked the Knicks in seven. So, <laughs> I mean, when we're talking about Luka Doncic. And obviously the Mavs are out, but the the year he was drafted, he w- was traded. The, the Hawks had the number three pick. They moved down to number five. They swapped Luka for Trey and a following year first-round pick. I mean, <laughs> the dude's an ice-cold killer. Even when he's off, he's on Noah, and that's what's crazy about him. Mm-hmm. Is he's the polar opposite of Ben Simmons in that he wants to shoot 
no matter how well or poorly he's playing. And he's not afraid of it. I mean, this dude is 23 years old. 22 years old. And he just has this supreme confidence. And you always hear it from NBA players, like, you have to have it. Who was that? I don't know if it was Jason Kidd maybe said it. I don't know. We'll, we'll look it up. But there, there's not a single NBA player who shouldn't they themselves believe that they're not one of the best players in the world, if not the best player in the world. Because how else do you get to the NBA? I mean, just the amount of youth basketball players there are and then at the college level, just to be able to say that you're an NBA player is an amazing feat, and you have to have confidence in yourself to get there. But, I mean, this this guy, Noah, this guy, he's good. Yeah, and speaking to your, like, um... Trey Young's confidence level, Colin. Even in that game seven, he shot five for twenty-three from the field. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying. You know, if that Hawks team wants to be dangerous, Colin, the constant threat of Trey Young being that scoring presence still has to be there. And I love that he didn't let that get in his head. You know, he was two from eleven from three, but him just being that constant threat out on the floor really just opens up the court for everyone else on that team. And we just got to give a quick shout-out, Colin, to Kevin Huerter. 10 for 18 in that game. Dropped 27 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists. Um, he really is one of the main reasons that Hawks won that game 7 and won that series. And, you know, Colin, it's kind of crazy looking back on um, at the beginning of the season, Colin, when we were really questioning some of those um, pickups that the Hawks made, um, yeah. you know, especially Danilo Gallinari, and Gallinari has been awesome for them in these playoffs, Colin. Um, he's, he's been, been such a constant force off that bench for their team. Um, in the series, he just averaged 15-5. and five. Um, And while that may not seem great on paper, he's that's all the Hawks need. They're not asking him to go out there and score 20 a night. Um, the combo yeah. of him and Bogdan, man, they were looking at the offseason the Hawks had now. They smashed it. Oh, absolutely. And absolutely. And mind you that, that Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter have not been playing. Exactly. Exactly. Um, DeAndre Hunter, we're talking about there, the Hawks' best perimeter defender. And Cam Reddish, well, whatever you think about Cam Reddish, he's still a good bench player for that Hawks team. And the fact that they're missing both of them and still beat the Sixers, I mean, this Hawks team is so exciting, Colin. Their future is so bright. Yeah, I mean, if I'm John Collins, I'm not leaving that organization anytime soon. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you about that. They essentially have to pay John Collins whatever the fuck he wants now, right? Yeah, and, uh, you know, I don't want to talk about their offseason plans quite yet because obviously they are still in it. They have an entire Eastern Conference Finals to get through before those conversations are had, but... It's, it's very interesting because they have such young talent. They have a top five, top six guy in Yakan Kongwu, who's barely been playing any minutes. Cam Radish, DeAndre Hunter. Like, they have those guys on deck, but yet it was really the old veterans that they signed 
Bogdanovich, um, Gallinari, even Lou Will has has played a he's played a role. Mm-hmm. He's played a role. Um, and, and shout out Clint Capella because man, he you don't want to shout out Clint Capella? No, I'm. I love what Clint Capella did for this Hawks team, Colin, and what they traded for him at this point. They absolutely robbed the Hawks. Or the Rockets, I mean. The Rockets, yeah. I feel like anybody can rob the Rockets at this point. That's just a sad, sad organization managerially. Do we, um... But, but, sorry, finish what you were yeah. going to say. No, no, no. Well, we have to talk about the team that Do we get to the ugly side of this series, Colin? We got to get to the ugly side of this series because, in my mind, there's no reason that the Philadelphia 76ers shouldn't have won the series. Zero. Zero excuses. On on paper, how do you not pick them? Yeah. Um, Looking at. Looking at how they played this series, Con, um, Embiid did just about everything he could for this team, Con. Um, and I think in, yeah, I believe in injured groin. Yeah, on a meniscus. Oops. He has a he was playing with a torn meniscus, and he still averaged thirty, twelve, and four on them. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Think about this. On just a quick timeout. At the beginning, we weren't sure if he was going to play this series at all. We, yeah. you and I had that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so Embiid, Embiid showed up, Colin. He did everything he possibly mm-hmm. could. I believe in game six in the entire second half, the only two people to hit a shot, to make a shot in the entire second half, Colin, were only Embiid and Curry from the Sixers. Um, speaking on Seth, Seth Curry, Curry, Seth Curry was probably Seth, the second okay, best sorry. Sixer player in this series. He averaged 21 points, uh, three assists, three rebounds. And we have to look. Did. I think he was. We have to look at the two other supposed stars on this Sixers team, Con. Um, we're looking at Ben Simmons, Con, a guy who has been receiving tons of flack over the last um, couple days since the end of this series. Uh, he averaged nine points, six rebounds, eight assists. And then you also have to look at Tobias Harris, Con, who averaged 19 points, seven rebounds, three assists. And if the Sixers want to have success as a team, Con, you know, Ben Simmons is a whole bag of worms in his in himself. Um, mm-hmm. He's not going to become a scorer mid playoff series. Um, I get that he, I get that him not being as aggressive and on offense as he should be is frustrating. But I'm more, I'm looking at Tobias Harris here, Con. I think there's no excuse for a guy who's getting paid thirty six million dollars a year to not be averaging at least 20 points in a playoff series against the Hawks, who are missing their best perimeter defender. I hear you, dude. Believe me, I hear you. Yeah, I mean... And and so, so we've talked about this, but Ben Simmons, deservedly so, is getting dunked on a bit. Um, now... We can get into it in, in maybe a different uh, formatted episode, but I, I do believe that his value is not nearly as low as some might lead you to believe. But you know, like you said, you know Ben Simmons' job is a facilitator. Mm-hmm. You know he's not a score-first guy. That's why you have Tobias Harris. 
that's what he's there for. And so, for him not to have a fucking the whole second half, that says a lot more to me about him than it does about Ben Simmons. I totally agree with that, Colin. Um, I think Tobias is really lucky that Ben Simmons played as bad as he did. Um, I think a lot of the flack would be on Tobias's end if Ben Simmons had played a little better. And I'm just going to rattle off a bunch of Ben Simmons stats, Colin. I'm personally a super big fan of Ben Simmons. I think the moment he has a team built around him, we could see him actually thrive. I mean, we've actually never Mm -hmm. seen him on a team other than the Sixers, so we don't really know what kind of reality we're missing off of. Um, But I'm just going to read you off some stats, Colin. Um, My my first favorite stat is Udonis Haslam took more shots... In the only quarter he played this season, Colin, two shots in three minutes, then Ben Simmons did the last six fourth quarters, one shot in 44 minutes. Oh, my God. (laughs) Where'd you find that? Twitter. (laughs) Um, So that means, like, DeMarcus Cousins then has probably taken more shots. In the one game he's played. Oh, yeah, totally. For the, yeah, definitely. Uh, my next one, Colin, is Ben Simmons over the final three games of this series, Colin. Eight points in game five, six points in game six, five points in game seven. That's good. He's a superstar. My next one is Ben Simmons in the fourth quarter of this series, Colin. Game one, he went two for two in the fourth quarter. Solid. Game two, zero for zero. Game three, one for one. Game five through seven. Game four through seven, zero for zero. So he shot 100% in the fourth quarter, Colin. I don't hear what people are. I don't hear him. Why are people so mad? Yeah. The guy literally didn't miss. (laughs) He did not miss. Um. Yeah, Colin, Colin, do you think we've seen Ben Simmons play his last game in a Sixers uniform? So, a year ago this time, there was a big conversation about can Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid coexist? And I was very much on the train of yes, they can and absolutely they should. Because individually, they are both phenomenal basketball players. Joel Embiid played MVP-like basketball this year. Ben Simmons as we talked about, you and I both presumed that he should have been the defensive player of the year for what he was able to do as a perimeter defender. I understand why uh, Mr. Gobbert inevitably won the award, but still. But as you referenced, we haven't seen a team built around Ben Simmons. And it's, it's so tough because a big man who likes the ball down in the post and to work there is the antithesis of what Ben Simmons can do as a playmaker. Pounded out basketball in mm-hmm. the post, it doesn't really require a, a playmaking point guard. It, it requires mm-hmm. <laughs> a, a point guard who can score themselves. It requires a Jamal Murray, which is what Denver has with Jokic. Mm-hmm. And obviously Jokic is a different player than Embiid in, in their makeup and how they approach scoring and, and facilitating. But Ben Simmons is, is not the guy to pair with Embiid. 
and and Embiid isn't the guy to pair with Simmons. So I I don't think that it should necessarily be back to the drawing board, but I don't know what the 76ers expect to get for him at this point. As I, I saw a tweet that said uh, word around league front offices is that Ben Simmons uh, has gone from borderline superstar to uh, somebody that, that nobody really wants to take on as a project. Which I think is insane. Um, I agree. I'm a I'm a super big fan of Ben Simmons, Colin. I think under the right circumstances, I think he is a he's a he's a really good playmaker con um something you can really only see from the eye test con and just watching games is some guys just have that like innate third eye um passing wise like we see guys like lebron lebron sees passes that defenses do not even think of being a possibility and i think ben simmons has that same trait um i love what he brings as a playmaker he's Maybe the best perimeter defender in the NBA, Colin. I think he might be the best defender in the NBA. And would I love for him to develop a three-point shot? Sure, Colin. But I'm more worried about him just being able to hit free throws. Uh, just work on your fucking free throws, Ben Simmons. Um, the fact that he was getting played off the floor at certain points just because the Hawks would foul him is fucking ridiculous. Like in game seven? In yeah, that's game. just ridiculous. But yeah. I think the I think the Sixers really fumbled the bag in this series, Con. Um, the Sixers should have approached this... The Sixers don't want this seri- don't want the games to be close towards the end of the fourth quarter, Con. Um, no. I've actually... I think we've actually discussed this, but I think the Hawks have an easier time generate... If the game's going possession by possession, Con, I trust the Hawks more to generate good possessions... Then I do the Sixers con, which I know you might disagree. I think we've already talked about this. And you said that, like, you know, Embiid's, like, a pretty good way of scoring. But I think I think generating a good post look for Embiid is a difficult thing to do at a certain point in the playoffs. Um, where I'd rather have Trey Young, a guy who's a point guard, who's an elite passer and um, scorer, I would rather have the ball in his hands to go out and generate my team a bucket. Yeah. That, like, are you talking, like, fourth quarter specifically? Yeah. Like, I think it's easier. I think those games were easier for the Hawks to score when it really mattered than it was for the Sixers. Yes, especially with the way that Ben Simmons was playing and you could feel essentially free to, to sag off of him as much as you wanted. Because, yeah, I think it is easier to defend an Embiid post move knowing it's probably coming than it is to defend Trey Young. Coming off Trae a Young pick and roll or something. Card. Coming off a pick and roll. Taking a, taking a, a, a deep three, just a step back. Yeah, I mean, the lob threats. Just everything that he provides on the floor... I understand why it's it's much tougher to guard in the isolated circumstances. Now, in the flow of the game, I trust Embiid way more. 
because you, you can't really do, do those same things and it's just a different mentality of how you play the game. The first third 40 minutes versus the last eight. Probably even like first 44 minutes versus the last four. But I, I get the sentiment of your point. Um, yeah. And I mean, if, if Danny Green was, was shooting a little bit better, too, I, I think that it might be a little bit different. But Danny Green kind of had a, a bum series. He didn't even play in Game 7. Yeah. Um, now we're looking at an Eastern Conference Final, calling between the Hawks and the Bucks. And we can just get into previewing this series right now, Con. Um, I don't know how yeah. you feel about it, but I think the Hawks will feel the um, will feel the effects of not having DeAndre Hunter this series. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be really hard for them to stop Giannis, Con. Um, they're probably gonna put John Collins on him, and John Collins is gonna have trouble not fouling out by halftime. Honestly, um, yeah. And the Sixers didn't really take a good job of punishing Trey Young on the other end, Con. And that's something I think the yeah. Bucks will do a very good job of. Um, the way the Bucks actually won those last two games, Con, was they ran a ton of Drew Holiday and Giannis pick and roll. And yeah. if Trey Young's even anywhere near the either of them, they're going to pick on him all series, Con. And while I do think the Hawks have the offense to do to keep up with the Bucks, I. I don't think they can stop them defensively. Yeah, the Bucks obviously provide a much more multifaceted offensive approach. I mean, Chris Middleton is everything you wanted Tobias Harris to be. Yes. Right. Yes. Totally. Yeah, and and he and he's come through with it. I mean, mm-hmm. Chris Middleton has has been dunked on his fair amount these last couple of years. Um, you know, after Giannis has really come to his prime, and, and Chris Middleton's been selected to an All Star game or two. You expect, uh, you don't expect, but every once in a while, you need the thirty eight point performance from Chris Middleton to back Giannis. Yes. Um, because Giannis yeah. can't do it all. And that was the knock on the Bucks before they got Drew Holiday was that come crunch time, same thing as what we're talking about with the Sixers, is you know it's just Giannis driving. You know that's what's going to happen. And that's not really who they are anymore. As I referenced earlier, Drew Holiday took some massively clutch shots in the fourth quarter. Shots that... Uh, Obviously, we've seen Malcolm Brogdon progress phenomenally, and, and he's done really solid things for the Pacers. But I don't know if he impacts the game in the same way that Drew Holiday does. Um, I think Drew Holiday is, is a bit more of a floor general than Brogdon is, which is exactly what the Bucks needed. They needed a guy who's pass-first score when he needs to, and he's done that so well. Um, and then I, th- I just think that the supporting cast behind that is, is much better. Dante DiVincenzo, I, I don't know if he gets where, where the love spectrum is on him, but, man, is he just a phenomenal role player. I feel like every time Dante DiVincenzo takes a three-point shot, it's going in. 
I'm, and I know he's not a terribly efficient three-point shooter, but like when the crowd is up, it feels like he rises to the moment. Interesting. Dante DiVincenzo. <laughs> um, Wait, I'm saying that I'm saying DiVincenzo, and I, I definitely mean uh, uh, who do I mean? The Pat Connaughton. Pat Connaughton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, the white guys. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's... Give, give me your official prediction, Colin. Um, I want to hear what you think. I'm not going to be as bold with my, my five-game predictions as I was last round, just because I don't want to feel silly again. But I... I really like this Bucks team. I'll go ugh, such a lame pick, but I'll go Bucks in six. I'll do you one like better, Colin. answer. I'm going Bucks in yeah. five. Interesting. All right. Well, then, just for the sake of that, I'm going to say Hawks in seven, so that one of us. Oh, right. okay. Well, Hawks in I... seven. No. Oh, okay. Good pick. Dude. No, I just, I just, I, I don't see it. I mean. The 76ers were were a very troubled team. Despite where the Nets were, the Nets, I still think, would have dusted the 76ers and the Hawks. And, I mean, those were some tough games. I mean, they beat KD putting up 40 points. Yeah. That's really tough to do. I don't care who his, his supporting cast is. If KD's putting up 40... An efficient forty. That you're doing something right. So yeah, I I think that the Bucks get through this one pretty pretty handedly, and then go on to face uh, probably the Suns. Oh, hold right, on, let's, hold, let's on. hold to... your horses there, Bud Bucko. Okay, okay, my my uh, my horses <laughs> yeah. are help. What's uh? Oh, you want to talk about this? All right, fine, you talk about it. Uh, we don't have to spend much time on the Nuggets Sun series, Colin. Um, I think the most exciting thing to come from this series was the Suns and Four Suns meme and four guy. guy. Yeah, awesome. um, that was about as interesting at this as this series got, Colin. Um, the Suns are legit, Colin. They're they're them boys. Um, they're the boys. They they have this a like well built team. They have yeah, they have the perfect role players, Colin and Bridges, Jay Crowder, Toy Craig, um, campaign oh. even stepping up. Um, Somehow they're they're so solid. Happened, they're happened. so solid defensively. And Devin Booker, we knew the talent was there, Colin, but this guy's a bona fide superstar at this point. Um, yeah, you know he's proving time and time again that the Suns do have this Cinderella vibe, Colin, around them, but they're just good, good. Like, yeah, um, yeah, I I love the Suns team, Con. In this series, Chris Paul averaged twenty five points and ten assists. And if Chris Paul's averaging, we know his double digit assists are probably going to be there. But if he's averaging twenty five yeah. points, Con, I don't think anyone beats this Look fucking out. team. Look out! And um, yeah, I don't know. It would be a cool story. Just yeah. from going from a team that didn't even make the playoffs to winning a ship. Yeah, and it speaking... Would, it would add a lot to that legacy. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
Um, speaking from the Nuggets side, Con, you know, it kind of just felt like they gassed out. Um, Jokic even got ejected in the last game on a pretty questionable call. Which was call. stupid. Let me say that. I, I think that that is just whack. Yeah. I, like, I, you I, tell me in, in, in a do-or-die game, you're going to eject a guy for a non-intentional foul? Well, it was like, pretty intentional. On. Uh, he didn't mean to hit him on the head like that. Well, I think if he, he doesn't, clearly... I think if he doesn't get into the scuffle after Con, I don't think he gets ejected. Um, if I think if he shows like a little remorse, maybe I don't think he gets ejected. Either way, it's a bad. Know, either either way, way, it's a bad call. It's a it's Stupid. a terrible call to basically end a series right. that way. Um, but yeah, they kind of just gassed out Con. You know, Jokic still had a pretty yeah. good series, averaged twenty five, thirteen, and six. And Michael Porter Jr. kind of just didn't really come through for the um, Nuggets in this series. Con only averaged 15, and I think for Nuggets have any chance in this series, Con he easily has to average over 20. Yeah, or Aaron Gordon needed to show up. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong on the stats, but I don't believe he had a very good series at all. No, he averaged nine points, four rebounds, one and a half assists. Yeah. He actually. You know what? You're, you're gonna expect more out of that guy. He he only shot eight three pointers that entire series, Colin, and he didn't make a single one. Welcome to the club, Joe Harris and Aaron Gordon. <laughs> but yeah, that um, right, well, that series was boring. Um, but yeah. you know, the Nuggets still had a fantastic season. Jokic is the MVP, but uh, they just ran into a juggernaut, honestly. If Jamal Murray was healthy, they would have Yes, won that, that series is a seven-game banger if Jamal Murray's healthy. Oh, maybe next year. All righty, let's move on to the final series of the semifinals, the, the conference semis. And honestly, this... Content-wise, it, it might have the least um, Twitter heads talking about it, but it, it, it could be the, the most interesting out of them all, just in how it transpired. So, the Clippers go down 2-0. You lose Kawhi before game 5, and the Clippers rattle off 4 straight to win this series in six. Uh, is playoff P here? Has he finally arrived? Is, is this playoff P? I, I don't know if that was more... Like, Paul George played fantastic on. He averaged... Yeah. He averaged, um, like... He averaged 29-9-5 and five that series, which in all things considered is a fantastic series but I think this came down yeah, more to you know Colin I wasn't really a believer in the Jazz um, I knew they yeah, I knew they were fantastic a lot of people say that I, a lot you, of people you knew I that. wasn't you knew I was not I know I, I just alright you, you go you go I'll, I'll talk later uh, I think this series is different Colin if Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley are both 100% but they were not absolutely um and when it comes down to it, Colin, when in our preview of this series, we said that Rudy Gobert 
is both the reason the Jazz would win this series and the reason they would lose it, and that came to fruition. Um, defensively, Rudy was actually pretty good in this series, Colin. He, he did a pretty good job of staying on the floor, even with the Clippers going um, super small with Marcus Morris playing the five. But on the he, he can't bring it on the offensive end, Colin. That's really where he failed this Jazz team. Um, the Jazz's defense, Colin, is based off switching. Um, they go small with the five guys so they can switch anything and everything. And you would think that Rudy Gobert would be able to take advantage of that. Um, he wasn't rolling to the rim hard, Colin. All he really had to do was put his hands up and hope that someone threw it to him, and he could have easily scored 20 a game. And it comes down to him having zero offensive game, Con. There were multiple scenarios where the Clippers would switch, Rudy would get like Luke Kennard on him, and he doesn't have any post-up moves to take advantage of that. Um, so to me, Rudy Gobert kind of lost the Jazz this series, Con. but when you're looking at it, the Jazz are a bit one-dimensional, Con, and I think they were, and you know, that works in the regular season, Con. the recipe works. Um, against three-fourths of the league, they can blow them out every night because the recipe does work. But in the playoffs, when I think they were just asking Donovan Mitchell to play hero ball a little too much, Colin. Yeah, and obviously with Mike Conley out, I think that that expectation is there. And I think it's quite important to remind folks that Donovan Mitchell was not even close to 100% and still played some pretty phenomenal basketball. Um, Average 35 for the series. Yeah, so so I'm going to be honest with you, Noah. I turned game six off and went to bed. I was kind of pissed that they were losing. Like, I was actually just like, I'm not even a Jazz fan. I was just kind of disappointed in them. No, so I turned it off because I I thought it was wrapped and went to bed and woke up the next morning and saw the Clippers won. Terrence Mann, baby. I mean, I guess. I, right? Terrence Mann so, dropped 39 that game. Insane. I, and right, and like his career high before that was like 26 or something. Yeah. Um. Where Where do the Jazz go from here, Colin? Is there really room for improvement, or do you just run it back and you're saying that, oh, Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley weren't healthy for that series? I mean, I I don't know where you retool. Um, obviously, yeah. despite them blowing the lead, Jordan Clarkson was on fire that first half. Mm-hmm. That part of the recipe has to stay. You're not moving Gobert. He's he's staying put. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell is the cornerstone of your franchise. Mike Conley's going to be 35 next season. And a free agent. Obviously. Yeah, so I think that I have to imagine he would like to come back. Um, I don't know what the league sees his market value as, but the Utah Jazz have to have a higher price on him than anybody else because he understands his role on that team. He understands the organization. And obviously he made his first All-Star game this year as a part of the Jazz. I like Bogdanovich a lot. I know that you, as a Pacer fan, have an affinity towards Boyan. Mm-hmm. He was I our like second best Joe player Ingles. this series. Yeah. yeah. 
I I think the only move so they really I don't know where you go. I think the only move they really could make this offseason con would be somehow involving Joe Ingles. And the grass isn't always greener on the other side, Con. Um they could easily move oh, Joe no. Ingles and it would end up it would end up with them being in a worse situation. Um I think they're gonna run it back, Con. Same exact team, and I think we're gonna be talking about them the exact same way next year. I would like to be wrong about that, but yeah, I mean, maybe you can retool a little bit. It's it's just I, I don't. It's not like this is a very deep free agent class. Mm-hmm. What made the Jazz as amazing as they were is that they were a very balanced team. You know, from guys like. Boyan to Joe to Jordan Clarkson, it felt like a lot of guys could step up and do it, which is, is a little bit of the antithesis of, of the the big three basketball era that we've become accustomed to after over the last decade. Um, but it, it ran so well, and maybe to your point, that works great in the regular season. Come playoffs, though, when you get those big three guys playing 42 minutes a game, it's just not going to cut it. But it, it's not as though that the Clippers were a big three team. I mean, they were playing out with Kawhi. And Terrace Mann toasted you. Yeah. Oh. Is is that lucky or are you just garbage? I think I think the clip that was just system versus system con, and I think the Clippers had the right system to defeat the Jazz. I think. It's just crazy, Con, that Rudy Gobert is hailed as being so good, but he's also the reason the Jazz lose the series. Isn't that, like, kind of mind-boggling? Yeah, it's it, it really makes you reconsider how you evaluate the defensive guys. And do they need to go out and, and get maybe what we would call a 1B kind of player instead of just having a, a bunch of great B options? I, I don't know. You know, the real reason they lost this series, Colin, was Jawan Morgan simply just didn't play enough, Colin. That's, you know what, and I was going to say that next. But, you know, who did play enough, and that was Yogi Ferrell, and that's why the Clippers <laughs> won. Exactly. <laughs> Shout out. Uh, <laughs> uh, you yeah, want to preview? Boys. Should we preview this conference finals, Con Clippers v. Suns? Yeah, obviously we're one game in. Um, I think if Kawhi doesn't come back, this is going to be a pretty quick series. Yeah. Um, I think, Con that DeAndre Ayton is probably the key player in this series for the Suns. Um, I think he will do that I love on my fantasy teams. I think he will do what Rudy Gobert could not do, and that's punish the punish the um punish the Clippers for the way they play defense and these switching um opportunities. You know, in the game yesterday, Colin, he had a pretty big first half. He had fourteen points at the end of the second quarter, and he's gonna be able to punish the Clippers, Colin, for playing small. Um and even in that game yesterday, Colin, Marcus Morris actually didn't play the rest of the game after halftime with a knee injury 
and he's questionable for game two. And if they can't start Marcus Morris, Con, they're going to have to play like Patrick Patterson because people forget Serge Ibaka is hurt for this Clippers team, Con, and he was like their major free agent off signing. Um, Devin Booker. Devin Booker in that game, Colin, had a 40-point triple-double. And something that's really impressed me, Colin, is, you know, the Clippers' way of stopping Devin Booker was throwing double teams at him left and right. And his ability, his growth as a playmaker, Colin, is insane. Um, These double teams get thrown at him, and he doesn't blink an eye. Or he doesn't, yeah, whatever. Um, He's really good at staying calm, finding the open man. And these Suns players are ready to hit the threes, Colin. Um... I think if Kawhi doesn't play this, um, Chris Paul will play eventually in this series, Colin, and we can't say the same for Kawhi. Um, right. I think this is a quick wraps if the Suns win game two. Chris Paul's back game three. Um, it's got a potential sweep on it, Colin, even as well as the Clippers are playing. Yeah, I mean, this Suns team is just on a roll. And, and you nailed it, DeAndre Ayton was touted as being everything that you want from the modern day big without the three point shot um he's still he's got some some buttery silky smooth post moves <laughs> like Rudy Gobert he should coach Rudy up this summer yeah he, well I don't know if that's in his best interest necessarily it might be in Rudy's <laughs> But you watch him near the rim. I mean, he's perfect in the lob game. Perfect. Uh, I might argue he, him and Chris Paul or him and Devin Booker are the best lob duo in the NBA right now. Um, his ability to just go up and get anything that's thrown near him and put it down is immaculate. And then obviously you, you have one of if not the best playmaker in the game right now, Chris Paul, throwing a lot of those lobs. Uh, and then to move to Chris Paul, so I, I watched his post-game interview after they beat the Nuggets in four. And I don't know if we've said this yet, but in that s- second round, he was 36 of 37 from elbow jumpers. <laughs> I love that. that. That's sinking it again. Ben Simmons shot 33% from the free throw line. <laughs> Chris Paul was 36 of 37 from eligible jumpers with a guy in his face. Yeah. And he just talked about how the analytics really go against that shot. But back when he was on the Clippers like six, seven years ago, right when like the whole Steph Curry effect and, and the three-point shot and the analytics say – if you can shoot the three-point shot at this clip, it's more effective than anything else. And everybody went to the SAG defense. He was like, I realized right then that that shot's just open. And mind you, that's a shot that Kobe Bryant made his living on. The, the elbow jumper is, when I just picture Kobe Bryant in my head, like that's just his spot. And Chris he, Paul said to himself, he was like, okay, like if, if you're going to give me that, I'm going to perfect it. And he has. And he's rubbed that off on his teammates. Because I was watching game one, and I watched both do the exact same thing. Just kind of twist and turn, find your spot, get a, enough room, and just knock the 15-footer down. 
Yeah, we could do a whole podcast, Colin, debating the um, value of the mid-range jumper in the NBA and how it's progressed over these years. But um, one thing I'm a pretty big proponent of is that having a lethal mid-range shooter in the playoffs is very important because, like you said, that shot is... Defenses generally are giving those shots up. And while in the regular season, over the course of like that big of a sample size, that shot may turn out to be less valuable than a three-point shot. But in the playoffs, con that shot is money. Um, if you have a lethal mid-range shooter, that shot is like a lifesaver in the playoffs. And um, we're running out of time here, Colin, but I personally put money on the Suns to sweep the Clippers at plus 1,000 odds, um, $10 to win 100. And... I think Con. I think it's Suns in five, but I would not be surprised if this Clipper team gets swept. Yeah, I really wouldn't either. It just uh, it, it seems, especially without Kawhi, that they are not built to do much against the Suns team that I think is the most well-built team in the NBA at the moment. Yeah, um, I want the Suns to win the finals, Con. They're doing it for the small market teams. They're showing that you can properly build a team um, in this day and age and still win the finals. And, you know, that's our coverage of the second round and the conference finals, Colin. We'll be back once these series wrap up to hit you guys with a recap and get our finals preview, Colin. I can't wait. Yeah. Absolutely, and the, and the last point I want to make is no matter who wins this NBA Finals, I, I think it's great for the NBA because other than if you want to call the Clippers a super team, I, I wouldn't correct you, but I don't think there's a super team left. There's not a super team in these Final Four, and, and that's just what I love. I think that's great for the game. I love the competition. It has made these playoffs so much fun. And yeah, I am gonna be glued to my TV for these last this last month. I agree. And thanks, thanks to you guys for listening to another episode of Bench Chatter, the Common Man's NBA podcast. And be on the lookout for another off season video. And this week we are covering the Dallas Mavericks. Peace out, Ooh. boys. See ya.